hey, let's, let's do a little participation. What, what, what are the, this is a two, I think it's going to be a two-part series. It could be three. We'll see. What, what are the warning signs that you are not getting the rest that you need? If we were really brave, we would say, what are the warning signs of the person sitting next to you that they're not getting the rest that they need? Somebody, am I going to start over here? What are the warning signs if you're not getting the rest you need? You all have, you guys are laughing way too much. What's one? Just give me one. Irritability. Irritability. Now, what's yours? What's yours? <laughs> That's mine. Irritability. Somebody else over here? A warning sign that you're not getting the rest you need. Yes, fatigue. Just worn out, run down. Somebody else over here? Anybody? Jamal? Headaches. Yes. Fair, physical symptoms. Somebody else? Warning signs. Maya? Zoning out, the blank stare. Yes, anybody in here? What, what was that one? Kids. <laughs> That's a loaded answer. That's a loaded answer. That's, <laughs> That's so great. Oh, that's good. Somebody else? Warning signs. Shani? You snap at your kids. Yeah, short-tempered. Short, I'm sure that's what Scott meant, short temper. Somebody else? Anybody else have a hand up? A warning sign. Warning sign. Hannah, a lack of grace. We, we know we could keep going with that list. And, and there would be synonyms for most of all the things that we just shared. Let, let me read this verse to you. Ecclesiastes 4, 5 through 6 says, Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. Talking about laziness. And yet better to have one handful of quietness, this is such a good word, one handful of quietness than two handfuls of hard work in chasing the wind. And it's, Ecclesiastes in some of the Old Testament is written in poetry. And so this is poetry right here. And so it's, it's contrasting laziness with being overly ambitious. Right, the back end is saying two handfuls, right, and chasing the one, meaning that if, if you're living for things, you're never going to be satisfied. But in between those two things is, is something called quietness, or maybe what I would say is the biblical concept of rest. Matthew 8, 23 to 27 says, Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples, and suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Right? This is a biblical reference for napping. Right here. Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus responded, responded why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. Dare, dare we say, borrow the word from Ecclesiastes, there was a quietness on the water. And the disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They ask, even the winds and the waves obey him. I would like to suggest to some of you today, and we're going to talk about it again next week and possibly again in a few more weeks, that, that your life is a tempest of activity. Your, your life is a storm of busyness and you don't even realize the risk that you're in. See, see, in the story, the disciples knew we're in danger here, 
and we need Jesus to step in. It could be that your life, that you have become so accustomed to a life of busyness. You're, you're the, in the Ecclesiastes, the two handfuls of hard work chasing the wind. And you need Jesus to get up in the boat of your life and to calm that storm and to slow things down. There's a quietness that deep inside of you, you desperately need. Our enemy, the devil, knows that he can't discredit our message. There is nothing that he can do to make the gospel untrue. He can't do it. He knows that he can't discredit our message, so he does the next best thing, which is to discredit the messenger. Fatigue is one of the devil's best schemes to destroy character. It's interesting that the majority of all of your answers, right, when we're tired, dealt with character, because it's true. John Ortberg, I'm going to be reading from a book of his next week, he talks about fatigue being the greatest enemy of Christian character that we will ever face in this life. Are there other temptations? Sure there are, but fatigue is at the top of the list, because when we're tired, we tend to lose self-control. The devil knows it. He can't change our message, so he discredits the messenger. And oftentimes he does it through fatigue, and we're helping him by the way that we live our lives. So this is what, if we have time tonight, I want to do these. Or shall I, let me read this long list. We're going to do this over the next two or three weeks. Why is there so much confusion surrounding the biblical concept of rest? Because there is a lot of confusion. And one of the reasons why I believe there's a lot of confusion is because a lot of Christians don't do it. Who are the Judaizers? I want to talk to you about where, how all of this got set into motion 2,000 years ago. What is the word sabbatismos and what does it teach us? We want to take a fresh look at some of the comments that Jesus made about Sabbath. I want to introduce you tonight. I believe that there are four specific kinds of biblical rest. There are four, not just one, but four. And we need all four present in our lives. We're going to Talk more, if we get to it, to next week, teaching more about Jesus' sermon on the Sabbath. We're going to talk specifically about his physical rest, a choice or a command. We're going to dive into that a little bit. We're going to test your cultural attitude towards physical rest, and then eventually in this series, we're going to get to eight practical steps to help move you towards a weekly Sabbath. Our hope is you're going to experience some of the vibes that are coming off of the screen in these pictures. You with me? The one for the, the opening, right? Looking out over the water on a dock with those loungers. I was like, yep, that's where I want to be, right there. So why are we so confused about a Sabbath rest? I think one of the reasons why we're confused about Sabbath rest is there is confusion that comes from miscommunication about what the Bible's even talking about. Can we agree on that? So sometimes we just get confused about what God is trying to say to us in the Bible. I... I, I observed this conversation the other day between Vanessa and Claire. They were talking about going to a, a doctor's visit. And, and so um, we're downstairs. We're just hanging out watching TV, and they're talking about what time they were, they were, they were going to get there. And, and Vanessa said, let's, let's, let's pull up at 8.15. And, and Claire was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And Vanessa was like, well, I, why not? And Vanessa, Claire was like, well, we're, we're, we don't need to get there that early. And Vanessa was like, we always leave that early when we have an appointment like this. And Claire was like, no, we don't. Vanessa was like, yeah, we, yeah, we do. So let's pull up at 8.15. And Claire was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. 
I, I, I don't want to pull up at 8.15. We don't have to get there. And so there are, I'm observing this conversation, right, back and forth, back and forth over, over several minutes about what time they were going to pull up. And all of a sudden, I had this epiphany, right? I realized that Vanessa was talking about pulling up in the kitchen for a cup of coffee because they were going to drive separate cars to leave together. And when Claire heard pull up, she thought they were talking about pulling up into the parking lot. You, you with me? So they were both right about the same thing they were talking about, but they were using the same word, but with a different definition, right? So many times for us in our life, you find yourself in a conversation with someone and you're frustrated why that person won't agree with you. They're frustrated why, they, why, why you won't agree with them. And, and it's because you've got different definitions for the same word that you're using. There is so much confusion surrounding rest because the Bible, when it's talking about rest, oftentimes is talking about different things. And miscommunication always breeds confusion. And our hope is we're going to bring some clarity to it. I would say this is a life message for me. I would say, one, people that have, have been at this church for a few years and are in a cycle where they, where they get this teaching, it's, I would say it's one of the top three teachings that people say transforms and changes their life. People are desperate, especially in American culture. People are desperate for the kingdom practice of rest. I believe the Bible couldn't be more clear. Every Christian is expected to gather for a time of weekly worship. Thank you for being here. For 2,000 years, that day has been on Sunday. I know, it's Saturday, but we'll get there. Because that is the day that Christ rose from the dead. 2,000 years ago. When the first century Christians were deciding about when they were going to gather, Sunday was an important day because it, it was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. This is called, in the Bible, it's referred to as the Lord's Day. We get that phrase from the Apostle John as he refers to it in Revelation 1.10. And the Lord's Day was a time of gathering to honor the resurrection of Christ. Now, of course, the first century church gathered on that day. Jesus is alive. We read the four Gospels, right? It's part of our Easter celebration every year. Can you put yourself in that community? Can you even imagine? From the depths of despair, he was laid in a tomb, and to the highest jubilation just days later, as they not only encountered an empty tomb, but a risen Lord. Right? You understand the journey of emotion they went through. Of course they wanted to gather every day to celebrate what they had experienced and what they had come to believe was true. Whatever meeting was held to decide what day, it had to have been the shortest meeting in the history of church meetings. I've been in a lot of church meetings where decisions have to be made. Right? You can imagine when they were meeting, what day do we want to meet to honor? How about we do it on Sunday, meeting adjourned? Right? It's the day he rose from the dead. It's the Lord's day. Now, where confusion comes is because the majority of early Christians were also Jewish by their ethnicity, by their culture of origin. And, and because of that, they were steeped in Judaism. Christianity was actually born out of Judaism. So you have all of these people that for centuries passed down from generation to generation, they had a cultural practice of the day that they met for corporate worship was on Saturday, because Saturday was the Sabbath according to the Mosaic law in Jewish tradition. So now there's 
a problem. All of these Christians who were embracing Jesus as the Messiah, they want to get together on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, but they also have this practice of Saturday that's important to them culturally because that's their Sabbath. And so you find for decades people caught between two worlds, their cultural norm and this newfound excitement, newfound enthusiasm for Jesus. It wasn't called Christianity then. It was called the way, following the way. It's one of the reasons why we talk about that here at the church. So enter the Judaizers. Who are these people? Acts 15, 1 through 3. While Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved, right? Judaizers were people were saying, if you want to believe in Jesus like us, that's great, but you have to keep all of the Mosaic law. You cannot abandon Judaism as we embrace the way. That, that was their message. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question, and the story goes on. There was this great conflict during the first century, even just years after the resurrection of Christ, as to whether or not there was an expectation that all of the practice of Judaism had to be maintained and then all the new expressions of Christianity would just be added to them. It created great conflict. It created great strife amongst the first century church. As we move through time, more and more people who did not come from a Jewish background embraced Christianity. And the biblical practice of weekly Sabbath became synonymous with the Lord's day. As we read Paul's epistles, right, as we read throughout the rest of the New Testament, he was constantly pushing back on this idea that everything that culturally comes to us in the Old Testament has to be carried through. And Paul begins to, as he's guided by the Holy Spirit and writes his letters, he's guiding us to understand how to learn the difference between the principles of the Old Testament that carry forward and which ones were a cultural expression for a certain people for a certain time that were not to last forever. But even still, 1988, who remembers 1988? Right? 1988, I was a junior in college in 1988. Yes. How many of you of that generation remember the blue laws in the state of Virginia? What were the blue laws in the state of Virginia? Anybody? Yeah, stuff was closed on Sunday. Not just stuff. Everything was closed on Sunday, right? It was literally, some of you are like, what? It was literally against the law for certain stores to be open on Sunday. Not just Chick-fil-A, everything. Right? It was a law. It was illegal. They were called the blue laws. They were called blue laws for a couple of reasons. In 1781, there was a gentleman by the name of Samuel Peters wrote a list of Sabbath regulations, and it was written on blue paper. Some people believe it was from that. Other people believe because it was an 18th century word that meant rigidly moral. Regardless of why it was called the blue laws, that the secular commonwealth of Virginia, because of a biblical belief that Sabbath was supposed to take place on a Sunday, it was, and those laws were not repealed until 1988, which is not that long ago. 
against the law. I love that when they first began to repeal those laws, they started with just the restaurants. Do you remember that? Like, okay, we'll open the restaurants. Because when Christians come out of church, they're hungry. They want to eat. They'll spend some money. Our own cultural practices have contributed to Christianity's confusion regarding a weekly Sabbath. You see, there was this, there was this tension. In the Old Testament, we find that there's this idea of a Sabbath. This idea of a Sabbath is sacred, especially sacred, because it predates the Mosaic Law. When you think about the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world for the very first time, if we were to make a list of the things that made the world perfect, right at its inception, at its purest state, rest was there. Weekly Sabbath was not a result of the fall from grace. It was part of Eden when it was perfect. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe God wanted to create some things that would give us a taste of what Eden was like, even though we're not ever going to go back to it, but what we're called to is to march forward to the new heaven and the new earth. And so he creates in this human experience just a glimpse of some of the things that are to come. Rest and a weekly Sabbath was a part of the world when the world was a perfect place. So we have this practice in the Old Testament of a weekly rest, a weekly Sabbath, but then all of a sudden the Mosaic Law heaps because of culture, heaps all of these added things onto it. And we're going to get to some more of that next week. And so that gets lumped in. And then, you know, if Jesus had just rose from the dead on Saturday, it would have made things a lot simpler. Can we agree on that? But I think he didn't because he was trying to pull people out of cultural practice and into a place of timeless principle. He could have rose from the dead on any day. Sunday to Jewish life was Monday. It was the first day of their week. And that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. See, I don't think God ever intended for the Lord's Day, which is the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, to just have to be limited to one day. And I certainly don't think he meant that for Sabbath either. There are reasons why, by way of convenience, we might do things on certain days, and there might be reasons by way of history and significance that we want to attach things to certain days. We like to say here at City Life Church, we still honor the resurrection of Christ on Sunday. We just do it in other ways other than gathering for corporate worship. See, I don't think God cares what day we gather for corporate worship as long as we gather. And I don't think he cares what day we set aside for a weekly Sabbath as long as we rest and give ourselves the gift of quietness every seven days. See, I think the days that were picked for them to happen in the Bible were not to teach us about the day to do it, but about the practice that we're supposed to embrace. We have our own struggles. Can we just say that in modern culture? We have our own challenges, how cultural norms begin to bleed into Christianity. How about politics? Can we say that? Sometimes people's political leaning, it, 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 it overlaps too much with Christian faith. Should our Christian faith instruct 
our political involvement? I think sure it should. But we got to make room for people's faith in Christ to send them down political roads that might be different from our own. There's always conflict. There's always going to be conflict. How cultural norms. People want to advance their own cultural preferences by booing them with Christianity. But in doing so, but in doing so, come on, it compromises our faith. Somebody say sabbatismos. Going to teach you a word tonight. Hebrews 4, 9. There is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. The writer of Hebrews here uses a word that did not exist. Now, if you believe that the Bible, like I do, was inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspires the writer of Hebrews to, to create a word. M meaning that when the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was trying to convey this sentiment or this thought that the Holy Spirit was giving to them, there was not a word in their language that matched it. It didn't exist. And, and so this word sabbatismos is created and birthed in this moment. It literally means an uninterrupted rest. A nap without end. Come on. But it's not just talking about a nap. I think it's talking about something different. I think the writer of Hebrews, because in Hebrews 4, the writer of Hebrews talks to us about four different kinds of rest. And I believe that sabbatismos is important because sabbatismos, an uninterrupted rest, is only possible when all four rests are present in our lives. These four if you want to get the scripture references, you can download. I don't have them on the slide, but I'll read them to you. But you can always download these. The notes are always available online the following week. There is paternal rest. There is purpose rest. There's perpetual rest. And there's physical rest. Paternal rest, he talks about in Hebrews 4, 2 through 3a. Purpose rest, he references in Hebrews 4, 8. Then there's perpetual rest, Hebrews 4, 10 and 11. And then physical rest is Hebrews 4, 4, the second half of that verse, 4b. Paternal rest is the rest that you find deep in your soul from knowing God as your Father. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes at the end of the service, what we call our welcome home moment. But we say it every week. The greatest desire that every person has is to know God and to be known by Him. That There is a restlessness of the soul until you experience God as your Father. Every person that's born into this world has God as their Creator, but it's not till we make a vow of devotion to Christ and we're born into the family of God do we know him as our father. Everybody has him as a creator, but not everybody knows him as a father. And until we know him as a father, there is a restlessness that we have. But from the moment that, as we like to say, we take our first spiritual breath and we're born into the family of God, there is a rest that we find. There is a quieting of the soul that comes because now we have the peace, the shalom, that can only come from being, knowing God as our Father and being known by Him. There is purpose rest. There is a rest that you find in this life when you feel as though you are walking in a divine purpose. I believe that God puts us on this earth to do stuff. 
Does he put us on this earth to be someone? Yes, he does. No question. But he also puts us on this earth to do some things. Divine activity, kingdom callings, destiny. When the book of Psalms, when David writes that, 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 that God knew us even when we were being woven together into the wombs of our mothers and he talks about all of our days are written in this book, he has a plan that he, is, he has for us. And when we're walking in that purpose, and I think there are purposes, there are plural. I think we're called to all different kinds of things in this life. And even though the work might make us physically tired, there is a rest in my soul when I'm walking in the purpose that God has called me to. Can, can we also agree that if you are running from a purpose that you know God has called you to, there is a restlessness in your soul. And you could also get swallowed by a fish. If you don't know that story, you can read the book of Jonah. There is a perpetual rest. There is a rest that comes from knowing what's going to happen to you after you die. The writer of Hebrews talks about this. We talk about this in our welcome home moment. There is going to come a day for all of us that is our last day. And when, when we know with certainty what's waiting for us on the other side, there is a restfulness that our soul knows in this life. We do not have to fear death. We do not have to fear what waits for us. When we do not know what's waiting for us after we breathe our last, there is a restlessness that comes to us. And then the final is what the writer of Hebrews talks about, which many of us are familiar with, is the idea of a physical rest. This is the idea of a weekly Sabbath. See, I think the first, these first century Christians, I'm going to read a little bit about Hebrews in just, just a minute. I, I think they had a revelation that wasn't just for them, but was commonplace amongst these first century Christians. I think they understood something about rest that we have lost as a modern church, that it is manifold, that there are four streams of rest. And if we're going to experience sabbatismos, if we're going to experience a rest that is without interruption, then we need to invite all four of them into our lives. You can have a measure of rest with just one, or you can have sabbatismos with all. The prevailing belief is that the writer of Hebrews was a highly respected teacher in the early church, a person of significant influence, like a Paul. Some people believe it was Paul. I don't think it was Paul. Most people don't think it was Paul, but we don't know for sure. We know it was the Holy Spirit. Highly educated in both Judaism and the burgeoning doctrines of Christianity. One of my favorite preachers, one of my favorite teachers of, of scriptures, Reverend Earl Palmer. He just passed away this, just this past April, just recently. I just went online and ordered every book that he wrote, right, before they go out of print. Like books are just showing up by Amazon every day at the house. Formerly the Minister at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington, and then Earl, eventually Earl Palmer Ministries. But he liked the idea. This is one of the things I loved about him. Sometimes he was just, he pushed the edge sometimes in his thinking. He liked the idea of Priscilla, the wife of Aquila, possibly being the writer of Hebrews. It's good, isn't it? One of Paul's converts, he surmises this may be why the author is never identified to avoid the bias that would have surely come if people knew that a woman had written this letter. It's good, food for thought, just saying. Hebrews was probably written sometime between 65 and 70 AD. Jesus was crucified in the mid-30s, right? So this is not, these are first-generation 
people, even though the writer of Hebrews is a second-generation Christian. That's important. Listen to this. According to the writer's own words in, in verse 3 of the second chapter, they're a second-generation Christian. And we know this because they say, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed by those who heard him, meaning that then those that heard him taught them. And this is important because it's, it's setting into motion this responsibility that we have to keep teaching every successive generation the way. Somebody at some point stopped talking about the revelation of rest. We're trying to fix that as a church. The writer of Hebrews knows that just as those who learn from Christ taught him or her, so now he or she must in turn, in turn teach the generation that follows as every generation must continue to do as it has now been for almost 2,000 years. And again, sometimes I think we're called to step in and pick up a conversation that sometimes found silence. This is one of the most sacred duties of the church is the caretaker of Christian doctrine. All right, I'm not going to get to this part. Next week, we're going to pick up with Mark 2, 23 through 3, 6. Because Jesus had some things to say about Sabbath. Even 2,000 years ago, even the very people that were the caretakers of the gift of the idea of Sabbath to the world had lost their way. And Jesus had a lot to say to them about it. Next week, we're going to see what, what, what he meant by when he said the Sabbath was made for us and we weren't made for the, that we, the, that we were, Sabbath was made for us, we weren't made for the Sabbath. What does that mean? Is he giving us a choice or is it a command? Is it optional or is it not? You're going to have to come next week to find out. Some of us have, have a cultural viewpoint of rest that is, that is based on secularism and not on kingdom. Right? You should take that test with me next week. If we get to it, there's eight practices that we give you that begin to help you reorder your life. There's practical things that you need to do to ask Jesus to step into the storm and the tempest of your busyness and find the calm and the quietness that he wants you to have. But let, me, let me just ask you this question. When you think of paternal Purpose, physical, and perpetual. That slide's going to come back up on the screen. Oh, they're good. Come on. Carrie's a professional. If, if you had a pen and a piece of paper right now, and you could rate on a scale of one to five, your practice with each of these four, what would your number be? Because five, 10, 15, 20, right? That's sabbatismos. You with me? That, that's saying I, I, I'm practicing these things every week in my life. See, this idea of paternal rest, when you're born into the family of God, that is just the beginning. But then there is the pursuit of intimacy with God for the rest of our days. I would argue with you that the moment you take your first spiritual breath and you're born into the family of God, God is now your father but you can be estranged from him. The restfulness comes, the quietness of the soul comes by the pursuit of intimacy with him, and he's waiting there for us every day. 
Are, are you practicing the things that we teach here at this church? 12 Pathways, there's a book in the back. If you don't have one, we'll give it to you for free that lead you into a place of intimacy with God. Purpose rest. Are you contemplating and reflecting the things that you have given your life to? Have you given yourself to them because you feel some unction from God that you're supposed to? Or are you the person in Ecclesiastes that has two handfuls of everything and you're chasing after the wind because you're driven by a false ambition? Do you have a sense, at least in some of the life roles that you have, that those are the things and the reasons why God has put you here? One to five. Perpetual rest. When you think about what's to come on your last day, is there a peace that you know because there is a confidence that you have? It's okay to reflect on our mortality. It's okay to talk with others about the finality of life. It's okay as a husband and wife, if you've got kids, to talk about legacy and what you want to leave behind and the impact that you want to have. Those kinds of conversations is inviting into you a sense of peace that comes from knowing what's waiting for you. And then physical rest. Do you, once every seven days. Once every seven days. Do you have a day that you set aside for physical rest? Sabbatismos is the prize. One to five, how would you rate yourself? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And I was thinking about the welcome home moment. We're doing this moment every Saturday this year. Every Saturday. As I was praying about this moment, I, I had, had this remembrance. I grew up out in the, in, the, in the country in eastern Henrico County in a little farm community called Verina, which is where I found my love for sweet tea. My mom makes the best sweet tea I've ever had. Come on. We have the recipe. It's an heirloom. Yeah. We're passing it on to our kids. Come on, legacy right there. And I remember I was home from college and my dad said, hey, can you help me? It was over the summer and I said, absolutely. And there, there were some post holes that he needed to dig. So we had our post hole digger. If you don't know what one of those are, then you did not grow up in the country. If you did, you probably still have calluses on your hands like I do from a post hole digger. Right? And you're, 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 you're digging this hole. It was the middle of the summer. It's hot. It's humid. It's like what David Godwin was talking about before, right? You're just, you're just, you're, your life is pouring out of your pores. We had been digging all day. Right? And I, my mom comes out of the front door, and she had in her hand two of the biggest plastic cups of sweet tea that you have ever seen, right? One for me and one for my dad. And I can still taste that sweet tea right now. Even more, I can feel, right? You're just, it was like in the Psalms where it talks about the oil of God's favor just pouring down Aaron's beard. You with me? You just, you can't open your mouth wide enough to drink it down. And I remember this feeling of just being refreshed, satisfied. There is a thirst in the soul of humanity that will never be quenched 
by anything else except knowing God and being known by Him. You can try. I've tried. I tried for many years. It might feel like it quenches that thirst for a moment, but then you wake up thirsty the next day. But not with God. He satisfies the soul. And we chase and we chase and we chase because something inside of us knows deep there, there is something more to this life. Going back to Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, it, it talks about this, this idea, this, this idea that, that eternity has been put into the hearts of men. Meaning that God puts something in us to long for him. And when Jesus stepped into the world, he said to us, I am the answer for that. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a favorite verse of ours, says, If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What is the old? The old is you and me being born into this world, separated from God. We live our lives chasing after things that can't satisfy. We have regrets. The Bible calls that sin. It keeps us separated from God. Jesus says, I am the answer for that. That, that when we invite him in, he literally begins to change who we are. He gives our heart new desires that begin to lead us towards the things that satisfy our soul. And he doesn't just stop there. He says, hey, and all those mistakes that you've made, I've got something for that too. It's called forgiveness. When he died on the cross for us 2,000 years ago, he died for us. He took the penalty that we deserved upon himself. And then he says, and not only am I willing to forgive all the mistakes that you've made, I'm willing to give you a blank check for all the mistakes that you're going to make, and I'll forgive those too. So on the day that is our last day, on the day that we do breathe our last and we stand before him, we do not have to fear condemnation. There is a confident hope that we have because we know he's inviting us into eternal life with him forever because of what he did for us. So stand with me. If you're watching online, there's a person online that will pray with you if you want to go into a private chat room. We're going to create a moment of privacy here in the room. We're just going to invite you to bow your heads. As you look back over the story of your life, if you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, I'm going to invite you to find that moment today. That you can just borrow these words and make them your own. Jesus, I believe that you're God's son that you died for my sin, that you rose from the dead. And so today I make a vow of devotion to you. I'm going to live my life for you for the rest of my days. Would you not come and begin to do that work of change that Fred was talking about? Change my heart. Change me from the inside out. I accept the forgiveness that you offer. And I stand with the confident hope, knowing that on my last day will be my first day of eternal life. Jesus said, it's in your name we pray. Come on, and everybody said together, amen. We call this a welcome home moment, not because we're trying to welcome you to City Life Church, because we want you to be welcomed into the family of God. And when you take your first spiritual breath, the prize that you have for the rest of your days is knowing God and being known by him. Let's worship together.